I know that most of you in the room know who I am, but just in case you're a visitor with us today, uh, my name is Pastor Nick. Uh, Shall we just welcome all of our new guests today? There's one or two that I've said, said hello to. Nice to meet you all. Uh, throughout, throughout September and October, uh, we've been hosting a sermon series uh, called Big Ideas, Faithful Steps, haven't we? Um, uh, and over this series, we've explored some pretty big ideas and what they might mean for our lives. Uh, we've looked at compassion, freedom, justice, abundance, creativity, righteousness, and equality. Uh, And not only have we explored what the Bible's got to say about those ideas, but then we've tried to anchor those ideas to some practical outworking. You know, we haven't just drifted off into lofty ideals. What we've suggested at the end of each message uh, is a start, a step, and a stretch, like a kind of threefold practical uh, response uh, to each of our messages to give you something to to go away and think about uh, to actually do. Um, Today, it's the last in the series, and it's the turn of the final big idea, and that idea is trust. We're looking at trust today. Uh, And to get us going, um, I'd like to open with a visual illustration. It will have obviously, all of you will have noticed that uh, there is a Jenga tower at the front of the platform here. Uh, And this, I borrowed this Jenga tower from uh, City Youth downstairs. Now this Jenga tower represents um, the trust that we award in our minds, both to other people around us, uh, to ourselves actually as well, and also to God the Father, Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so for every single person that we know, they have in our minds, in our, in our worlds, they have a Jenga tower of trust. Um, uh, maybe you haven't thought of trust this way before, but absolutely every person we know um, has a, a tower of trust bricks that is kind of stood in our minds about that person. And it doesn't exclude God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to ask you a question about where you start with your trust. Where is your default level of trust bricks when you first meet a new person? Where would that level be? Um, Now is your, uh, well, I wanna ask you, uh, how much do you trust somebody when you first meet them? How does that work? What do you do? Is your trust Jenga tower uh, pretty, you know, pretty high to start with? Um, but maybe over the years you've thought to yourself, oh, I've maybe made it a little bit high. And quite often what happens is people knock it down. Or maybe you're like my friend, uh, another pastor friend I've got who's also called Nick, uh, who is bivocational. And in, in his other job, he works for the police. Um, and uh, what he said to me one time was that his trust level of people, because of his job in, like in the week, uh, is a little bit lower than mine because he's worked with a lot of criminals in his life uh, and so his, his trust Jenga tower of most people when he first meets them is just you know just one or two bricks high and and the job they have is or job with most people with my friend Nick is that they have to build the trust with him over time now I'm kind of the opposite uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a quite a sort of positive person and a, I'm optimistic and I, I, I'm sort of, I'm quite a hopeful person by nature. And I'll start off with quite a high level of trust Jenga bricks whenever I meet somebody. And that's really nice for the people, you know, that maybe are worthy of that trust and deserving of it and all the rest of it. But sometimes what can happen is, you know, the journey maybe on balance is a little bit downwards after a while and I have to watch that in myself. And I have to go, well, maybe I need to be a little bit more objective. I start off very, very hopeful and sort of optimistic with everything and just see what happens. Uh, and, and that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. 
Perhaps you're a really balanced person and you have a kind of a medium level of bricks and it can go up if the person deserves it because they add bricks to the trust, don't they? Or it can go down depending on what they do. Um, maybe you have perhaps what, what people might call the Goldilocks level of trust. Uh, Goldilocks uh, being kind of like not too high, not too low. You know, like she was just always in the middle, wasn't she? Although actually, if we think about Goldilocks, she's not really a very trustworthy character because she broke into the three bears house. I mean, what's that? You know, so maybe that's not the best description. Now, another closely related question I want to ask you um, is uh, what level of Jenga bricks did you assign to Jesus when you first heard about Jesus? What was that all about? Um, you know, maybe before you found out more about him that you just treated him as like every other guy from 2000 years ago in history, but you'd never really considered the idea of trust around Jesus before. And maybe your reaction had been, well, why give the guy any bricks at all? Because uh, how could he possibly affect me? You know, yeah, he's, he may have been influential. He may have said some useful things, but that was back then and this is now. And loads of people in our present culture would think that way. They would go, well, why assign bricks to Jesus whatsoever? Who is he? Uh, and that would, that would include me before I became a Christian. And then perhaps if you were one of those people who was a little skeptical of, of Jesus and hadn't assigned him any bricks, and then you met a Christian, you would then potentially find that that Christian had actually given uh, Jesus in their mind a much higher level or stack of bricks than you had. And that you would straight away see a mismatch, wouldn't you? Your bricks would be here about Jesus and their bricks would be really, really high. And you'd be like, why is that? Why are you giving this person, Jesus, so many or so much trust? And maybe you'd have a dialogue with that Christian and that Christian might come back with, uh, to, some, uh, to some scripture. They'd open the Bible and they'd say something like um, Proverbs uh, 3 verses 5 to 6. And they would quote this to you and they'd say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding in all your ways. Know him and he will make your paths straight. And they, what they're basically saying there is that their level of trust in the person of Jesus is much, much higher, perhaps, than even their own trust of themselves. And that would be quite an amazing thing, wouldn't it? To hear that, perhaps our Christian friend, you know, just as we're exploring Christianity for ourselves, maybe our Christian friend might tell us about a guy called Saul who was so enraged at Christians back in the day, assigning any Jenga trust bricks to Jesus that he went round trying to cancel that altogether, including and up to the point of murder. The only difficulty with that was that then Saul himself suddenly had his own powerful experience of Jesus. So much so that he stopped attacking other people's trust bricks around the area of Jesus. And he immediately permits Jesus to construct a very large and strong and stable tower of Jenga trust bricks in his life. Now that's a bit awkward, isn't it? If you're someone that's kind of thinking, well, that's got nothing to do with me. You would look at the example of, Paul, of Saul, who then changed his name to Paul, and go, well, that's a big change. We're running an alpha course right now, and it works really, really well because it allows people to add a brick at a time into their Jenga trust pile about Jesus slowly and thoughtfully over time. And that's how I became saved. I went on an alpha course, my Jenga trust pile was about here, and each week it kind of, I grudgingly added more bricks. Can I just say that? I was like, yeah, okay, you've got a point. <laughs> you know, all right, fair enough. There's lots of manuscripts, fine, you know, get on with it. <laughs> and I'd, I'd slowly add more bricks. 
And then the Holy Spirit Dame came and whoosh, <laughs> my bricks went up to the ceiling. And I suddenly realized God was real uh, and things changed very dramatically for me from that point forward. Trust is built brick by brick of lots and lots of things coming from people, isn't it? Or from God. Kindness and warmth coming through on promises. Consistency, being noticed, how people treat others. You know, it's not just about how they treat us. We watch how other people treat other people, don't we? Integrity plays a massive part. Truthfulness, things like this. Um, James, could you, I know you did a prayer for us. I'm just going to come uh, get you to come and join me just as a uh, just for a moment. And just as James join, joins me, I want to uh, share an absolutely kind of key characteristic about trust. That if we start off with a default level, wherever that is, it goes up and down according to what the other person says or does. It really does. They drive that level, don't they? They really do. They have control over that. And even God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have to earn our trust. Now, that sounds heretical, but if you think it through logically, it's not. Yes, God gives us faith. And Romans 12.3 says that by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should, uh, but instead think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each. So that tells us that God gives us faith. But at the same time, what the Bible also shows is that even Jesus himself might need to earn our trust. And the example I might give for that will be somebody like Doubting Thomas. Uh, Jesus fully earned his trust by allowing him to touch his wounds, didn't he? He just earned that trust. Uh, he went forward and Jesus said he could... Uh... James? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> wow, I thought we were friends. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> okay, it is a setup. Of course it's a setup. <laughs> but the bricks being knocked over is an illustration of what happens when someone does something to reduce our trust. Isn't it? And this has happened to all of us one way or another at different points in our lives. People have treated us poorly. We've been conned. People have broken into our house and stolen our stuff. Somebody's been aggressive. Someone's cancelled us. Someone's called us out and said something horrible about us on social media. You name it, there can be any number of different reasons why our trust, our Jenga trust tower collapses for a particular person. Now, we've done a setup today and my trust of James is immensely high. This was a guy who led us through the pandemic, uh, being in his position as kind of like one of the medical officers helping with the with, you know, all of that information uh, around the virus. So he's very, very high trust. And obviously, I've just set this up. But if that was a real thing, then we would kind of have a, a problem in our in our relationship where James has done something. And my trust tower is now really low around James. It might be really high for other people still. But for James, it's got lower. And that's an issue. And sometimes it's not necessarily about how it affects us directly. Like if I watch James come and kick over a trust tower in someone else's life, then also my trust tower, I'm, I'm taking a few bricks off that and going, oh, okay, <laughs> James is a little bit, James is a little bit aggressive, going around kicking people's trust. I'm not sure about you now, James, because I've seen it, you do it with someone else. One of the seedling things in my own journey towards faith uh, took place uh, back in 1996 when I had an opportunity to work uh, in central London for a management consulting firm. And uh, they were pretty sort of pushy, strong, you know, firm with a lot of big characters in it. And uh, one particular time, one of the vice presidents there 
was so rude to his PA that she came out of his office crying. And I, and I remember looking at that and thinking, that is an interaction that has not gone well for whatever reason. And you have been so unpleasant to your own teammate that she is now upset and weeping outside in the corridor. And it started a bit of a journey in me. I mean, I was obviously morally aware at that time, but it started a bit of a journey in me of what, what is it that produces righteous behavior? How could I avoid becoming that nasty myself? I don't want to be like that. That's not a nice thing to see. And obviously my trust Jenga pile for that vice president went right down because of how he treated that lady. And that, that journey kind of fully commenced in 1996 for me. And then four years later, it resulted in me going on an alpha course, as I've suggested before. Um, and, and, and on that alpha course, I then decided that Jesus was the person who had the best capability of all the different options I could see out there of helping me build decent trust uh, in myself, uh, but also that he was trustworthy and that I could ascribe him trust uh, as well. And that, you know, I then ended up making him the Lord of my life at that point. And so there was a journey there that started with watching somebody not treat somebody very well. And then I then went on a search to find out how I could treat people better. And I discovered Jesus. Now, I've got another question for us today. Who's responsible for rebuilding the Jenga Trust Tower in our lives? When this happens, is it our responsibility or is it James's responsibility? Well, I'm going to suggest to us all that whilst I can make some gestures and make some kind remarks and offer an opportunity, really James has got to do that job. You know, James has got to kind of come along and sort of say, okay, Pastor Nick, um, I'm really sorry that I did that. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of try and make amends. And if you'll permit me, um, I would like to just start again. I'd like, you know, is it possible for us to, to begin again? And each of these bricks that he puts back then represents a step towards rebuilding trust. But I'm going to be a little bit guarded about that. I'm going to watch that slowly unfold. He's not going to get the, the Jenga trust pile straight back right to where it was straight away, is he? And he's got to do that work. And it is brick by brick. That's what's going to happen. And one of the things I think we as Christians frequently get wrong is that we get called to forgive, but we also mistakenly add, oh, I'll rebuild someone else's trust tower in my mind for them. No, they need to do that. So you can forgive somebody, but they still have the task of re-earning your trust. So you can completely forgive a person, have no bitterness towards them at all, have totally given it to God, but their task remains, which is, are they going to rebuild the trust? Are they going to do that brick by brick? Forgiveness is us releasing what a person did to cause the bricks to topple over back to God and asking God to deal with the pain and the injustice of that. So I would go to God in my prayer closet and I'd say, you know, God, James has kicked her. James has done something horrendous in our, in our, our friendship. Sorry, James. <laughs> James has never done this. He's a great guy. Um, but James has done something really horrendous to me. And I just give you this mess. Would you, would you fix this and heal this, Lord God, for me? Um, so uh, forgiveness is not also us rebuilding the tower. So forgiveness can be given by us, but trust must be earned by others. Um, now, God makes forgiveness completely between us and him 
so that we're not bound up by someone else being unavailable or perhaps even dead. Imagine a scenario in which James did that, he never came and repaired it and then he passed away and then I'm thinking about it many years later and I'm still bitter about it. If God made it that it was only possible for me to forgive James if he was still around, that makes the forgiveness a whole lot harder, doesn't it? So it's, what God does is he says, no, he makes forgiveness be between him and uh, us and him directly. The other person isn't involved. And that's a real kindness from God uh, to do that. Now, we can signal to a person to come and help rebuild the bricks, but at the end of the day, it's down to them to do it. So what I'm saying to us this morning is that forgiveness is given and trust is earned. I want to share a graphic with you that helps explain the relationship between forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration and trust. And Adam's going to pop that up on the screen for us. Hopefully that'll appear. Thanks very much, Adam. Um, now, there's a QR code up the top right there. We're a big fan of QR codes in BCC, as you probably guessed. Um, this one will take you to bcc.life forward slash equip dash me. And on there are some resources we've had there for a while. But um, when I was preparing the message, I added a PDF of these two slides. Because my guess is that you're going to need to think about some of these things more than just the duration of my sermon. There's a lot of condensed wisdom in these slides, for, drawn from quite a few years of experience in trying to handle this area. Um, you can also email the office if you'd like, or you can just take photographs of it with your phone. And I would encourage you to, to have a look at the, the slides as we go along. What I want to suggest is that forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration are three really helpful ways of breaking down quite often what Christians try and bundle all together. So, you know, when you, when you hear in, in Christian world, oh, I need to forgive that person, quite often the thinking is, oh, and we need to be reconciled, and oh, they need to be restored. That's not what I'm suggesting is very wise. I think you can do forgiveness standalone, and when that's done, you can move on to reconciliation. And when that's progressing, you could envisage restoration. And the three are separate steps, and it's very helpful to think about them in separate steps. Let's go through the slides briefly. So forgiveness, that left-hand column there, the Bible teaches us to forgive, doesn't it? Jesus' followers need to forgive other people who hurt them. Now, God's forgiveness of us gets blocked if we don't forgive others, because that's what the Lord's Prayer says, right? Doesn't it? You know, forgive me as I forgive those who've trespassed against me. Forgiveness is expressed between us and God only. It doesn't need the other person who hurt us to be present. And as we already said, that's God's kindness to us. That's very liberating of him because the person we might need to forgive could be unavailable or even passed away. Now, pain and bitterness have a chance to evaporate in this phase um, as we forgive. But trust could well still be zero at this point. Okay, let's now look at reconciliation. Reconciliation doesn't start and doesn't start properly until forgiveness has been granted. Don't be reconciling with someone where you're still really bitter towards them. It will leak out. You have to do that in the right order. Now, the Bible teaches that we should try and reconcile. God models reconciliation between us and him by sending us Jesus, doesn't he? It says that in Romans. Jesus followers, Jesus followers must aim for reconciliation. That's a great goal for people who follow Christ to aim for. But reconciliation doesn't mean overlooking or accepting sin. It doesn't. Now, in this phase of, re of reconciliation, seedlings of trust can start to be, for, you know, to be sown and, and grow, can't they? In the forgiveness phase, trust might not be there at all. In the reconciliation phase, well, okay, I, I might be able to, I can envisage trusting you again one day. 
Uh, reconciliation is like, okay, we're not, we're not going to punch each other, you know, have a punch up in the street anymore. We can actually ha- be civilized to each other. Uh, whereas before, p- perhaps we couldn't. Let's move on to the last one, restoration. Restoration cannot start properly until reconciliation has been started. You know, people try and restore people a little bit too early sometimes. We need to just slow that down. Restoration means aiming for everything the way it used to be. Trust, privileges, access, rights, good chemistry, all that wonderful stuff that you had before the Jenga bricks got kicked over by whatever they did. Now, trust will always now, however, be in the context of track record. And there is nothing you can do to overcome that. You know, we sometimes say in Christian circles that we forgive and forget. I think we can forgive, but it would be wise not to forget. Uh, actually, just hold it there because, uh, you know, you don't know whether that person's going to be dangerous again towards you. Uh, you're hoping that they wouldn't be. And in a minute, we're going to get into a Bible passage that shows us how we contest that they won't be. A uh, really, really helpful passage from Genesis 44 that uh, helps us through this maze a little bit. But trust will always now be in the context of a track record where perhaps it wasn't the case before. Now, I want to then take us on to the next slide. There's two of these. This is the first one. And then Adam will jump us to the second one. This is what it feels like for the victim and for the perpetrator. Let's talk through the psychology and the dynamics of this a little bit so that you understand how it feels. And you'll, you'll connect with a lot of this stuff. So for victim, let's take it along the top for victims first. Forgiveness for them is a standalone decision. It doesn't need the other person. And they would say, I release, you know, I release James uh, to, to God for his you know, heinous crime of kicking over my bricks. I release him. But we say that to God only and we can say that in private. I don't, strictly speaking, need James there. It often needs repeating. And why does forgiveness need repeating? Because our emotions can take a while to catch up with our decisions don't they? It's often expressed as a need. I need to forgive somebody because this is burning me up on the inside. You know, there's a, there's a bitterness growing there. At this stage, no trust is needed by the victim. There's no trust needed there at all. Uh, it can just be standalone. And sometimes that's where the process halts. The process stops at that point because the next two stages need the other person or the other people present. And sometimes that's not always possible. Now, let's look at reconciliation for victims. It needs both parties. Um, let's get along is offered to the perpetrator. That might be a preemptive, counterintuitive, let's get along kind of, hey, I do want to be friends again. Seedling trust can be granted, but it is low at first. It feels vulnerable, really vulnerable. And it looks back. Primarily, it looks at the history of the thing. And then restoration for victims, again, it requires both parties. It's baby steps only. You notice when I put the bricks back, you know, James isn't going to suddenly build all those bricks overnight. That's going to take a while. Trust can only be given one step at a time. The onus is not on the victim. If you've been wronged in some way, actually, it's the other person's task to rebuild. Uh, um, You know, a little bit less yours. And, and reconciliation is different from, sorry, restoration is different from reconciliation. Reconciliation tends to look back. Restoration tends to look forward. Now let's look at it from the point of view of perpetrators. So forgiveness for the person who's committed the crime, again, would be a standalone decision before God. And it would be, it would be saying something like, I am sorry to God. Uh, that often needs repeating too, because sometimes our regret can be strong and it is expressed as a regret. And then for the person in this category, uh, that kind of bottom left section there, um, 
no trust is really expected yet. Perpetrators, when they get into reconciliation phase, they, they need to be there. It needs both parties. Sometimes the question is, can we make up? And that's asked of the victim. There is the hope to earn trust. It feels really, really vulnerable because you could get a real knockback from the person who's really still very angry that you've knocked over their trust bricks. Um, and it looks back as well. And then for perpetrators, restoration, it still needs both parties. It cannot be demanded. You ever been in that scenario where somebody's wronged you and then they've kind of gone through those phases and they're pushing you really hard <laughs> for, for all the things they once had with you? And you're like, oh, hold on a minute, we just need to take this a little bit more slowly because I just need it to be a little slower. <laughs> We've all been there, haven't we? We've had that. It, you can't demand trust out of people. It's always earned. Trust can only be earned one step at a time and the onus is on the perpetrator. The, the, the majority of the energy in this dynamic is for the perpetrator to put something in, and it also looks forward. Now, I, I've broken all the rules of uh, presentation this morning by giving you a lot of text on a screen. You know, you're only supposed to do three bullet points and, and that's it. However, you can download this, you can mull this over, go to bcc.life forward slash equip me using that QR code. Please save the PDF and pray it through this week. I would love for you to examine that. Maybe you have an insight that would really help this be even better. I, I like it, but I think it could, you know, I'm always open to inputs from people's experience. So I was asking the Lord this week whether there was a great illustration from scripture about the rebuilding of trust. And the Holy Spirit prompted me really clearly. In fact, I celebrated with uh, this with Greg and Kevin and various others on Thursday. Because it's like, yes, Lord, that is absolutely the perfect story for this. Um, the, the Spirit prompted me very clearly on the story of Joseph getting reunited with his brothers. Um, the story of Joseph, uh, just to recap quickly, is that he was the second youngest of 12 brothers born to Jacob in the book of Genesis. He was very much his dad's favourite, uh, wasn't he? Uh, hence the musical of the, you remember the musical of the multicoloured coats and so on? Um, and he got given that by his dad. Now, perhaps unwisely, he told all his brothers about two dreams in which he had, which he'd had, in which they would bow down and serve him. And so the brothers, being brothers, uh, cons well, they conspired to kill him, which does seem a little bit extreme. Uh, but that's what they decided. Uh, but then one of the brothers had second thoughts and he persuaded the other brothers not to kill Joseph after all. And then another brother called Judah suggested that instead of killing him, that they would sell Joseph into slavery. Uh, and they did that and they faked his death and covered the multicolored robe with splashes of blood and gave it to their dad and let their dad believe for a real long time that jo Joseph had been killed. Now, it'd be pretty hard to think of something that would destroy your trust bricks. Uh, with other people other than, you know, beyond your brothers ganging up on you, chucking you in a, in a cistern and then pulling you out and selling you to slave traders. And if you can imagine Joseph's mind here, he's got 11, well, I think it was 10 at the time because Benjamin hadn't come along. He's got 10 little piles of trust bricks and all of them have been flattened by his brothers in one, one hit, haven't they? So he's gone off down to be a slave in Egypt with no trust of his family left at all. That's exactly what happened to Joseph. No trust, sold into slavery, but God is with him. And who knows how amazing that, that feeling is, that no matter how down and out you are, if you know that you've got God with you because you have a relationship with God, he will, he will help you face anything. 
And this happens to Joseph, and he ends up uh, getting selected to be uh, a, a sort of chief steward of a, of a gent by the name of Potiphar, who was a captain of the Egyptian guard. And he does really, really well under Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife uh, basically uh, tries to accuse him of rape, and then he goes to prison uh, for two years, falsely, and unjustly serves time there. But during that time, he comes to the attention of Pharaoh, uh, and Pharaoh needs some dreams interpreting, and, and Joseph is able to do that. Uh, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He's able to say that there will be seven years of great plenty coming, followed by seven years of great famine. And Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of the whole of Egypt because he's heard accurately from God about what to do. And who knows that we need more Josephs in our day and age who know what to do in really difficult situations. Um, but everyone ends, in Egypt ends up safe because they all have food, uh, because it's been stored up for them, because Joseph has heard from God. Now, Genesis 44 then comes in kind of some way into this story where Joseph's brothers have already made a journey to come and buy grain. They don't recognize Joseph and they've now come back. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And so because they don't recognize him, Joseph is presented with a very unusual opportunity to test them, to satisfy himself that he can begin to trust them again. Now, all the brothers are leaving to go back uh, to their own country. Uh, which is when Malay picked up the reading. Um, and uh, what happened? They've got fresh grain, they've got supplies. But Joseph sends his steward to secretly plant this silver cup in what is now the youngest son's bag, Benjamin's bag. And he then sends the steward straight after them once they've left the city to challenge them about the supposed theft of the cup. Now, in the spirit prompting me about this story, I came to realize that this story is an absolute gem of a story when it comes to the mechanics of rebuilding trust. You, I, I'd find it really, you come and suggest to me afterwards, by all means, I'm always hoovering up good stories and information, but I think this is one of the best Bible stories to talk to us about how we can rebuild trust when it's broken. Because trust when it's fine is kind of fine, isn't it? And, and we don't need to work on it so much, although I think we need to constantly put things into our friendships. But fundamentally, if trust is there between people, it's good. I'm more interested in when, when trust is broken, how do we navigate how complicated that can be? It's very difficult to know what to do. This passage gives us three great ways to assess whether someone's gone on enough, enough of a journey to, for us to allow them to rebuild a Jenga trust tower in our minds. So follow with me, and they're in your version notes there. Uh, if you jump back to the main screen there, Adam, we can see the QR code and you, the other QR code, and that'll take you to the Uversion event, and all of these are there. The first question to ask is, number one, with our trust rebuilding exercise, is the truth being told? Is the truth being told? At a foundational level, the truth now needs to start being told in that relationship where there's a breakdown. What we see when the cup is found is that the brothers do not try to cover up the problem or lie or give excuses. And that's a change from how it used to be because originally they lied to their father Jacob about Joseph being killed. That's a change. They've gone from lying to we don't know how to explain this, but we're not prepared to lie. Can you see the shift there? That's really, really good. So now they tell the truth which is that they just don't know how the, how, the, how the cup got there. 
Verses 15 and 16 of Genesis 44 says this. What have you done? Joseph said to them. Didn't you know that a man like me could uncover the truth by divination? I mean, he's laying on a bit thick. And in fairness, he does hear from God through dreams. Um, but he's putting them, putting them under pressure, isn't he? Uh, what can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. Question number one. How can we plead? Question number two. How can we justify ourselves? Question number three. Lots and lots of questions, no answers, but not, not willing to lie. Not willing to make excuses. And that's a big deal. And then he says, God has exposed your servant's iniquity. Truth statement right there. That's like when David says to uh, Nathan, I have sinned. Trust starts when truth gets told. However much it costs you to tell the truth. And can you see that the brothers have now become more truthful? Even though they don't know how to deal with what has just happened to them. Truth is absolutely key to trust being rebuilt. You cannot have a relationship with anyone who lies to you because lying is like rust to trust. It corrodes it. i just say that again. You cannot have a relationship with somebody who doesn't tell you the truth. And if you spot that in your relationships in your life, pay real vigilance to that. Uh, lies do, do, not, do not hold in, they're foundational to, to all relationships. Uh, sorry, truth is foundational to all relationships. Lies break all relationships down. You know, sometimes I have an occasional difficult conversation in my office. Can I just let on that occasionally we have to have a little bit of a pastoral chat? And I'm very quick to get to the point of, well, what's, what, what, is re what really went on? And if I sense there's kind of like, if I sense that it's not a Judah conversation, that maybe the person's being, you know, maybe a person's being honest and, and kind of floundering around with what they're trying to say, but I'm, I'm sensing that that's genuine, I have a lot more time for that than excuses or lying. And sometimes we have to start a process in the pastoral conversation towards healing of, well, let's start with the foundation of truth. What has actually happened here? Just get to the bottom line. Nothing shocks me anymore. Just tell me the truth. And we have to start there. You know, I can't really pastor a person if they're not being truthful. Well, I can, <laughs> but it starts like this. We are not going to make any progress until you tell me the truth. That's the starting point. So number one is the truth being told. That's the first and the most important thing that you need to identify if a person is coming at you in your life wanting to rebuild trust. Are they now telling the truth? Judah and his brothers are now prepared to just be a little bit more honest than they used to be when they were younger. Number two, have attitudes changed? Joseph originally got sold by his brothers and they covered it up by splashing his coat of many colours with animal blood to get their father to believe he was dead. Now, ever so many years later, we hear Judah saying something totally different in attitude regarding a desperate wish not to leave Benjamin behind. Do you see that difference? We're quite happy to sell our youngest brother into slavery and cover it up before our dad. Now... I'm very, very, very unkeen to sell my youngest brother into slavery. And I'm accountable to my father for that. Can you see the attitude change in that? Genesis 44, 32 says this, Your servant became accountable to my father for the boy, saying, If I do not return him to you, I will always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. And really, Judah should have acted with that level of accountability towards Joseph originally, but he doesn't. Now, what is so moving in this story is that not only has Judah learned his lesson, and not only is he not prepared to allow the same sequence to happen again for Benjamin, 
but he spells it out to the very person that needs to hear that. Do you get the dramatic irony of that? Joseph is standing there hearing his older brother who was instrumental in selling him out saying, I am not prepared to sell out my youngest brother. That's very healing for Joseph. Can I just say that? Very, very healing indeed. And hugely dramatic. And it makes, it's one of the reasons it makes the story so compelling. Judah's attitude has changed and he expresses a desire to be accountable and to protect his younger brother. What is ever so key in the rebuilding of trust right alongside truth-telling is evidence of a changed attitude. James could, of course, rebuild his trust bricks with me um, if he was willing to come and put the bricks back. And the way that he would start that is he would start off with an apology and he would say, well, yeah, I did kick the bricks, Nick. And I'm sorry, that was a phase of my life where I went around angrily kicking a lot of people's bricks. And you're just going to have to accept that I've moved on and here now I'm going to commit to rebuilding that and he's and then he does and so you've got some truth telling a change of a change of attitude thirdly and lastly our efforts being made to make amends in the journey of rebuilding trust not only do we need to see the truth being told and evidence of a changed attitude but we also need to see a a set of new behaviors gestures uh, actions being taken towards the repair of broken trust. Genesis 44:33. we hear Judah say this, now please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. This last part of Joseph's test, Joseph's test is to see whether the brothers would be willing to effectively let another youngest brother be sold into slavery all over again. But they aren't prepared to allow that and Judah makes an offer instead, and he offers himself as a substitute. He offers himself as a substitute for Benjamin. He's not just telling the truth. He's not just showing a changed, changed attitude. He is offering to step into Benjamin's place. There's an action in view, and he's prepared to take that action. And Joseph believes it. And right here in Genesis 44, many centuries before Jesus arrives... We see in Judah's offer an echo of the offer by God to us of Jesus becoming our substitute so that we too might go free and not have to stay in slavery. Let's just replay those three bits of wisdom from Genesis 44 one more time. Uh, just as the, uh, as the worship team return, if you, if you guys wouldn't mind come and joining me, that's very kind. Those bits of wisdom from Genesis 44 around the rebuilding of trust, three parts of them. Is the truth now being told? however messy that might be. Two, has the attitude changed? Well, yeah, the attitude has changed because I'm not prepared to let my brother be sold into slavery and I need to go and report to my dad about him. That's totally different from years before, isn't it? And three, are efforts being made to make amends? Yeah, I'm prepared to step in the place of my brother and I want to release my brother in my place for him to go back so that he can be reunited with my father, Jacob. You will know that we've been following in our series, uh, Big Ideas and Faithful Steps, a three-part pattern at the end of our, our messages to kind of apply. And they're called the start, the step, and the stretch. Uh, suggested very helpfully to us by Kevin as we were doing some service planning at the beginning of September. Great model to follow. I'm going to change them around a little bit. And I'm going to give the start and the stretch to the Jesus followers in the room. 
And I'm going to suggest a step to those of you here this morning that might not be sure about who Jesus is. Maybe you haven't given him a, a Jenga trust tower in your mind yet. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. But the start for us as Christians and us as believers, why don't you download the slides? Download those slides or, or, or get them off of the website and have a ponder through and have a think. Have you been someone who's been bundling up forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration as one great big melting pot? And actually, it's not served you very well to do that. Maybe it'd be good to separate those out a bit. And you can just do the forgiveness standalone, sure, but then move on to the other bits when you're ready. Maybe you need to give yourself a break around that. The stretch. Let me switch to the stretch. Is there a person in your life who genuinely deserves for you to allow them to be trusted again, to, to become a more trustworthy person? Uh, and when you actually analyze what's gone on, you're still stuck in a kind of shut door. No way can they even get near my Jenga, my Jenga bricks. <laughs> Stay right out of my face. You just violated me far too much. But actually that person has told the truth to you. They have changed their attitude. And actually, they've taken some definite actions. And time has gone by, and you haven't noticed that. And maybe it's time for you to open the door and invite them in and allow them to start rebuilding the Jenga Trust Tower again. That would be a stretch right there, wouldn't it? And I know that that's true for some of us in the room. I know it's true. And here's the step. The step is for those of you who don't know about Jesus or you're not sure or you've been thinking about him or you kind of come to church because you got invited by somebody today or you're just checking church out. The step would be to say, so far in my life, I haven't really given Jesus lordship or that premier position that perhaps others in the room that I can see around me have. But I'd like to think about doing that because I can see that he is very, very trustworthy. And can I just say as a flat statement, with no kind of extra backups or anything else. Jesus is 100% trustworthy. He is absolutely trustworthy. Through and through and through. And the best decision you can ever make in your whole life is to allow him to lead it. He leads your life way, way better than you will. And I've, I've road tested the other side. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> I've road tested me leading my life and that was a mess. Oh my goodness. What a joke that was. And I'm referring to my 20s, which were just chaos, just hedonistic chaos. And I regret that decade with everything I've got. And then I met Jesus. Life got a whole lot better with him at the steering wheel rather than me causing all the car crashes that I did. We've got a blue bag. Greg, could you just pass me that blue bag? We've got like a little bag of gifts and goodies for those of you who today might want to make a decision for Jesus. And just in here, we've got like, an, uh, I think it's a Luke's gospel or Mark's gospel, something like that. So there's some stuff there for you. And I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to just trust that maybe one or two in the room might need to pray this prayer. So for, the, for all of us, if you just close your eyes a minute, we're just going to pray a prayer. When we've prayed that prayer, um, the assistant pastor here, Greg, is just going to go out the back there. And um, what I want for you to do is I want you to just make your way out and find him. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus. I'm sitting here this morning and I know I need to make a decision for you. And I'm going to make that decision. I'm going to trust you. Today, on this Sunday, I'm going to award you the Jenga trust bricks that you should have rightfully in my life. 
I'm sorry that I haven't trusted you up to now, but today I'm saying that I do. And I want to follow after you for the rest of my days. I'm really sorry for the stuff I've got wrong, but I want to follow after you and get things a bit, a bit better with your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. We're going to sing. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. And if you prayed that prayer, please head out with Greg uh, and he's got something for you. That would be awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, worship team.